Now, in this, in this chapter, and of course, Paul didn't divide Ephesians up into chapter and verse. That was done in the 12th Christian century or something like that. Paul's just writing. But in the verses prior, verses prior to this, Paul speaks of the dramatic change that Jesus makes in those who truly believe in him and are saved. God changes you. When you're saved, God changes you. He, he does a work of new creation in you. He makes you a new person. He gives you a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, new desires, new wants. Uh, you're born again. You're made a new creature. You're made a new creation. Somebody who says they're saved, but they continue to live as, if, as they have always lived, you've got to question whether or not they really have had a salvation experience with the Lord. Because when God saves, God changes. Now, in these verses that we look at tonight, Paul speaks of some practical ways that Jesus makes a difference in your life. Practical ways that Jesus makes a difference in how we act and how we believe and how we behave. If a person's Christian profession does not affect their practice, if a person's Christian profession doesn't affect how they live, then you must question the validity of that Christian profession. And so in these verses, Paul talks about some of the things that we are to be careful of as Christians to be careful of not to do. Now, you know, Christians are not sinless. We're not perfect, but we are different. I wish I was sinless. I get aggravated with myself sometimes when I do an evaluation of my life, do an inventory of my heart, and I know I've got stuff in there that stinks and are sinful. And I try to make a confession to the Lord, ask Him to forgive me, ask Him to help me, never, you know, to repent, never do it again. I, I don't want to sin. I don't want to be guilty of any kind of thing that would dishonor my Lord. You know, a lot of times we as Christians, we get ambushed by sin. Here we are, we're, we're living our life, we're loving the Lord, and all of a sudden some kind of temptation will come out of nowhere, and it's like, you know, in the old cowboy movies when the outlaws will jump out and, you know, and attack somebody and hurt somebody, an old temptation will jump out out of nowhere. And we get caught and we get, you know, we, we maybe say something we shouldn't say or do something we shouldn't do. Uh, we're not sinless. But the thing is that we should be growing in victory over sin. You know, if you're saved, you can't sin like you used to do. You still have the potential and possibility of sin until you go to heaven. You can't sin like you used to sin. But it should be true in our life that we grow in our ability to overcome sin. And we grow in our ability to, to uh, be victorious over sin in our life. And I got to tell you, the older you get, your temptations are going to change. I told you that before. You know, Satan will tempt young people one way. Well, when you get older, that kind of temptation don't work anymore. Because <laughs> we ain't young anymore, right? We ain't young anymore. So that kind of temptation, it don't work. But Satan's relentless. He didn't look at me and say, well, he's 69 years old, about to turn 70. I'll just leave him alone. No. Satan will never stop. He is absolutely relentless in my life and your life. He knows he can't steal us away from God, but he wants to do everything he can to hinder us 
to make us fall, to make us fail as Christians, to negate our witness and our testimony. And so he's going to tempt us, and he's, he'll tempt us in different ways. And I've told you this before, and I think I'll tell you again. One of the ways, one of the most ways that Satan will, attempt, uh, will, will uh, tempt mature believers is by discouragement. You know, we get sick, we, get, we can't do what we used to do. You know, family is not as close as we want them to be. You know, and you got, you're older now, and you got different kind of things going on. And, and Satan will come to you and say, well, you know, you're pretty much useless, buddy. You can't do what you used to do. No more body really care about you. Not even your own family cares about you. You know, there ain't much to you anymore. And what can you do in the church? And he'll do that. He'll try to discourage you. And so how do you handle that? You never let Satan get the upper hand with you. You, you, you just you say, well, Satan, that may be true, sucker. But I know where I'm going and I know where you're going. Amen? I know where you're going. And as long as I have breath, I'm going to love my Lord and I'm going to serve my Lord. See, you, spiritual warfare is a real thing. That's why you are told every day to put on the armor of Christ, right? Y'all remember that? Put on the armor of Christ. Why do we need armor? Why do we need armor? That's talking about spiritual warfare. And so, um, you know, we, we should be growing in victory over sin. And listen, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Now, and, and this is absolutely the truth. You know, God, God watches over you. The Bible says that God watches over us. He cares for us. God watches over us. He sees us and God does help us. He encourages us. While Satan is trying to discourage us on the outside, the Holy Spirit of God is encouraging us on the inside. And God, will, God has sent angels into your life. You have no idea. You have absolutely no earthly idea how many times God has deployed angels into your life to help you and to bless you and to encourage you and to help you to keep going. You, did, you never knew about it. You were never aware of it. But one day you will be when God reveals it to you. And we have angels on our side. We have God on our side. We have the Holy Spirit on our side. We have prayer on our side. We have a lot of weapons to fight against the wiles of the devil. And so don't get discouraged, you know? And, and I'm, kind, I'm kind of a practical kind of guy. Okay, I can't do this anymore, but I can do this. You know? And this may not be open opportunity for me, but I can do this. I've got this opportunity. Always look for the edge to love the Lord and to serve the Lord every day. Always look for the edge. And you know, in every, and honestly, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to build myself up or anything like that. But in everything, I'll, my first thought is, okay, how can I glorify God in this? You know, I do a podcast thing. I do it because of my son and it's his business and that kind of thing. But I enjoy it. And I've had opportunities to talk to people and, you know, interview people and all that and go places. But my first thought, honest to God, my first thought is always, how can I use this opportunity to glorify God? I mean, what does money mean? Of course, there's no money in it. But what does money mean? I mean, you know, it'll give you some stuff and help you to have things and that kind of thing. 
But it's here, it's gone tomorrow. The IRS is going to get it. There's 87,000 new IRS agents going to audit every one of y'all and get everything you've got. Just kidding. Okay, I hope I'm just kidding. I mean, you know, money, okay. But what's most important is to honor and glorify God in all that you do. We got a mansion in glory. Y'all know that? We got a mansion in glory. We got a room in the Father's house. We've got blessings that we can't even begin to conceive that are coming our way. So until we go there, let's be faithful to the Lord. No matter how old you are or what you can do or what you can't do, you just keep going. You'll never know the difference that you make in somebody's life. And so just keep going. And in these verses, Paul reminds us, watch out for sin. I know you're saved, but there's some sins you need to watch out for. Make sure these things are not in your life. Okay? Lost people can't put them off because they're lost. And they enjoy doing these things. But you're saved. You're different. You've been changed. And there's, there's certain, just watch out for these sins. Don't let them take hold in your life. You've been saved from this stuff. Don't let that old stuff come back. Here's the first thing that Paul says we as Christians, we need to watch out for, make sure it doesn't stick with us. We are to put off lying. Verse 25, therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. One of the characteristics of somebody who is unsaved is they lie. <laughs> There's a lot of lying going on in America. Y'all know that? I sit on, uh, sit on my recliner sometimes. I hear somebody interview and I say, lie. Lie, that's a lie. You know, it was amazing. When all the pandemic was going on and they were trying to figure out where coronavirus came from, I sat in my recliner and said it came from China out of that stupid lab. I knew it three years ago or two years ago, whatever. It took them a long time to even come up with the idea. See, people need, I'm going to start a thing, 1-800-ASK-ME. And if anybody... Okay. There's a lot of lying. And one of the characteristics of being a lost person is you lie. Here's what Paul says. If you're a Christian now, don't lie. Put away lying. Speak the truth. Um, be sure you always tell the truth. Don't be a deceiver. Don't try to deceive people. Tell the truth. The truth sometimes hard to tell, isn't it? The truth sometimes hard to hear too, right? We are to speak the truth in love. The Bible says, you know, and Paul said, look now, you're a Christian now, don't lie. Make sure that that doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, be truthful, be honest. Um, don't be like you were before you were saved. You, you've been saved now. Your heart's been changed. And he says, especially don't lie to your fellow Christian. Listen, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, whether they're saved or lost. For we are members of one another. Members of one another speaks of the church. In other words, tell the truth to lost people and saved people. To those who are, born, uh, who are not saved and to those who are your fellow Christians, your fellow church members, tell the truth. And, um, you know, 
So sometimes it's it's easier to tell the untruth than the truth, isn't it? <laughs> you know. And um, it's like the little meme I saw, you know, where the wife had a new dress on and she came out and she said, "Honey, does this does this dress make me look fat?" And and the man said, "No, it ain't the dress. It's your hips you got." <laughs> And then his funeral was the next week. Uh, but oh, I'm kidding. But watch out. Don't, don't lie. Okay? If anybody needs to tell the truth, it's God's people. And, uh, you know, lying is a sin. And Paul reminds us lying will mess up a church, too. You know, we are members of one another. Tell the truth with our fellow believers. One way to mess up the unity and the fellowship of the church is by lying to our fellow Christians. Let's just be honest and be real. Don't be deceitful. Here's the second thing. You're a Christian now. Put away unrighteous anger. Look at verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now notice the verse doesn't say do not be angry. Did you notice that? In fact, this verse says exactly the opposite. It says to be angry. Be angry, but do not sin. In other words, there are times when it is right for us to be angry. But we got to make sure our, right, our anger is righteous anger. Okay? Uh, and Paul cautions us. you got to be careful with anger. Sometimes... It's okay to be angry for the right purpose in the right way. It's okay to be angry with that which grieves God. I get angry when I hear God being blasphemed and the things of God being belittled. And I get angry when I see things that are just evil and wicked and immoral. And often they are targeted to young people and our children. That's going on in our society in a horrible way. Doesn't that make you angry? That makes me angry. It's okay to be angry over that which hinders and hurts the cause of Christ. It's okay to be angry when the name of Christ is blasphemed and when the innocent suffer. But Paul cautions us, be careful with your anger because anger can get out of control. Be angry at the right things. Have righteous anger, but even be careful with that. Jesus walked into the courtyard of the temple in the temple courtyard he saw all these people taking advantage of innocent worshipers and just ripping them off by charging exorbitant prices for sacrifices and for exchanging money jesus walks along picks up some cords some strings that had been used to tie up some boxes for the doves and he whipped that thing around he overturned tables and he ran them out of the temple that's righteous anger Righteous anger. It's okay to be angry at things that, that grieve God. But see, Jesus is God. We're not. So be, Paul said, just be careful with your anger. Don't allow your anger to lead you to sin. Righteous anger becomes sinful anger when you allow your righteous anger to lead you to do that which is sinful. But also, you know, we're to put away our, our anger, our unrighteous anger. You know, don't lose your temper. Temper is important. Temper is what makes steel strong. Okay? You know, you temper the steel, 
Temper is what makes steel strong. But watch out. If you got a temper, if, you, if you're prone to anger, be careful with that. Because anger, anger can get out of control in your life and make you say things that you will regret, make you do things that you will regret, make you do things that are sinful and harmful to others. He just says, be careful when it comes to anger. And if you're prone to losing your temper and prone, prone to, to uh, you know, being angry, you need, to, you need to realize that and deal with that. So he said, don't be angry like you were before you were saved. You're saved now. Watch out for your anger. Make sure you're angry at the right things in the right way. Don't let that get out of hand. And, you know, and, and just watch your anger. Control yourself. One of, the, one of the fruit of the Spirit, one fruit of the Spirit is self-control. In other words, daily as we yield control of our life to the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God will help us. He will be a governor for us to control our anger. And so when that guy passes you on the road and he almost hits your car and then he sticks his hand out the window and says, you're number one. Y'all didn't get that at all. You know, and you just ready. You want to get up there and you want to show them who's boss and that kind of thing. Just let her go. Okay, it's not worth it. Somewhere down the line, they'll pay the price. You know. His anger is just, and, he's, and he says, watch it now. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Anger will open a door for the devil to work in your life. It's a dangerous thing. Don't let your anger get out of hand. Especially domestically with your wife or with your husband or with your children. You know, we need to keep all that in check. You know, we all lose our anger or our temper sometimes, you know. And, and then if you're saved and you do stuff you ought not to do in anger, you're going to regret it. Amen? You're going to sit there and you say, well, I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish I hadn't have done that. And I hope nobody was watching me when I did this. And so what Paul says is, okay, you're a Christian now. You used to get angry. You used to do stupid things because of your anger. But you're a Christian now. So control your anger. Help let the Holy Spirit control your anger. And I was I was at a Southern Baptist Convention meeting. Went to a Southern Baptist Convention meeting one time with a deacon at uh, our Midway Baptist Church in Paxley, Georgia. We were in St. Louis, Missouri, and we had driven all day from Baxley, Georgia, to St. Louis, Missouri. I was tired. He was tired. And we went to, I think it was a Denny's restaurant. We really splurged. We went to a Denny's restaurant for supper. And the waitress came out, took our order. And, you know, we ordered tea and that kind of thing. Bless her heart, she came out. She had a full thing of tea, pitcher of tea on this, you know, serving platter or glasses. So she put the glass, my glass down, put Mr. Webb's glass down. Then she turned around and that whole pitcher of tea fell right in his lap. Just... And Mr. Webb was a great man. He, he was just, he was one of the finest Christians I ever knew. He looked down at his lap. He looked at that, at that girl, and you know what he said? He said, I'll be dog. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I'll be dog. 
And she just went to pieces. She ran away and all that kind of thing. So the manager comes out. And the manager says, you know, I'm so sorry this happened. And, you know, your meal's on us and all that kind of stuff and everything. Mr. Whip says, where's that girl at? You know, talking about the waitress. Where's that girl at? He said, I won't, I won't talk to that girl. So he went and got the girl. And she came out and she was sobbing and so apologetic. He, he took her by the hand. And he's 70-something years old. By the, that, took her by the hand. And he said, honey, Shiver, you just don't worry about that. He said, you have learned a lesson, haven't you? And I have too. I thank God I brought me some extra clothes. You're fine. And he went, he went to ministering to her, found out it was her first day at work. And Mr. Webb saved her job. He told that to the manager. He said, look, it, don't, it happens. Don't worry about it. Now, he could have been angry. I've seen people get angry over the stupidest things. You have too. And now if you do it, you get on social media, right? You know, where you're throwing up everything. And that, no. We're Christians now. Control your anger. Now, if we get angry over abortion, we should. We get angry over crime, we should. We get, but don't let your anger lead you to sin. And, but watch your anger. Don't let the sun go down on their wrath. In other words, if you got an issue with somebody, settle it as quick as you can. Because anger tends to seethe and it, it, it tends to grow. If you don't deal with the issue immediately, settle the issue immediately, then that issue will grow. Your anger will grow. It will fester. It will seethe in your life. It will become bigger and bigger and bigger. And all you're doing is opening a door for the devil to work in your life. Settle the thing. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And by the way, Studies have shown, medical studies have shown that holding in anger and, and, you know, that kind of thing, having that kind of thing in your life is detrimental to your physical health. It'll kill you. It'll give you a heart attack. It'll, it'll, it's detrimental. It's amazing. You know, we're, we're human beings, but our physical self, our emotional self, our spiritual self is all intertwined. When you don't feel good physically, you don't feel good spiritually. Because your physical part of you is affecting the spiritual part of you and the emotional part of you. You walk with the Lord and, and He gives you happiness and joy. That affects you physically. It'll make you more healthy. That's the truth. The studies have proved that. That's absolutely the truth. So Paul says, okay, you're saved now. Don't be angry. Here's another thing. You're saved now. Exchange stealing for sharing. Look at verse 28. Let him who stole... Still no longer, but let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is need, uh, who has need. Our old self, before we were saved, was liable to steal, to be dishonest, to take advantage of people. But the new person we are in Christ must not do that. So he says, be honest, don't steal. And that goes beyond just physically taking something that belongs to somebody. You know, don't be deceptive. Don't take advantage of people. Don't steal from people. But now that you're a Christian, share with people. Instead of taking from people, you know, use what you have to share with those who are in need. Working with his hands, what is good? That he may have something to give to him who have 
has needs. See, here's what Paul says. When you were lost, you used to steal from folks. Now that you're saved, work hard so you can have something to help those who are in need. That's good, isn't it? That's the difference Jesus makes. Where he'll take an old thief and turn that thief into somebody who wants to give to and to help others. Here's another thing. Paul said, you're a Christian now. Exchange corrupt communication for words that edify. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification. That means to build up that it might impart grace to the hearers. The word translated corrupt means rotten. And like a rotten piece of fruit, a rotten banana. Is there anything more disgusting than a rotten banana or a rotten tomato or something like that? It has to do with something that's worthless, something that's, that's useless, rotten, offensive. Paul said, before you were saved, you used to talk all kind of nasty ways and, you know, you communicated in, 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 uh, in corrupt, corruptly corrupt communication. He says, now that you're a Christian, that has no place in your life. Corrupt communication includes profanity. Stop you cussing. You're a Christian now, so cut it out. You're a Christian. You're not supposed to talk like that. So cut it out, you know? Uh, Grady Nutt was a preacher many years ago, and he, he was a Christian comedian as well. And he was, just, he was a funny guy. And I heard him at seminary one time. He gave a talk and he, he was talking to a bunch of preachers and he said, you know, I have developed cuss words for preachers. He says, it's not fair that the deacons get to use all the good cuss words. So, and of course he's a comedian, you know, he's playing, you know. And he says, I have developed cuss words for pre- preachers. And so he proceeded to give us cuss words for preachers like boogly, you know, <laughs> or things like that. But now that we're Christians, don't cuss. Don't cuss. Man, a cussing's everywhere, isn't it? On television. We used to never have that. Now you can be watching a program and all of a sudden, I mean on regular TV. Don't cuss. Off-color jokes. That's corrupt communication. Don't tell no dirty jokes. You're a Christian now. Don't tell no dirty jokes, dirty stories. Who do you think you are? You've been saved. You've been born again. You used to act like that, but you're different now. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Worthless speech, gossip. Watch your talk. As Paul says, instead of talking, do, using that kind of language, use words that will edify and encourage others and minister grace to others. Everybody says, but what is good and necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Instead of using your words to tear down and nasty words and things like that, use your words to edify, to build up others, to encourage others, to minister grace to others. Don't cut people down. Build them up. Encourage them. You have no idea how powerful your words are. You know, your words can help others. So we are to encourage one another. And I never have understood in church life why it is so hard for, 
for some people to encourage others. You know, it's, it's like, I'm just not going to do it. You know? I'm just not going to do it. You know? They won't say an encouraging word to anybody. I, I've never understood that. Why does it cost you to encourage somebody? And to pick somebody up and to minister grace to them? Here's what I think. Instead of going out of your way not to talk to somebody, go out of your way to talk to them and bless them and encourage them and lift them up. What's wrong with that? Why can't we do that? I mean, we're saved. We used to be that way before we were saved. We used to run over people and talk down about them, talk ugly to them and cuss them and we used to be, but you're a Christian now. Paul says, don't act like that. Don't let yourself act like that. Encourage people. Give them grace. Edify them. Pick them up. Encourage them. I try to be an encouraging people. A person. You know, I've been, in, I've been in services, and I've heard preachers preach and bless their hearts. They did the best they could, but sometimes their sermon just was terrible. Now, that's my judgment and not God's judgment, Okay. See, here's the, here's the thing about Brother Chris. When I go to another church and I sit down, I'm automatically judging everything that's going on in the service. Miss Harris knows it and she's hitting me with her elbow. Yeah. I'm judging the song service. Well, they could have done that better. And then I'll start judging the preacher. He could have done that. Miss Harris is one. Listen and let God bless you, you dummy. But, you know, it's your nature to, it's your nature to do that. But, you know... Whenever I go anywhere and I hear a preacher preach, I know he's put his heart into it. I know he's, 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 he's prayed over that thing. He's got that thing ready. And I'm going to go straight to him. And I'm going to tell him, brother, you blessed me today. And that's true, even with maybe a sermon that's not up far. Some way, it would, brother, you blessed me today. I thought it was wonderful. What is wrong with that? Why can't we encourage one another? I mean, I've never understood that in church life. I've had, oh, Rot gut deacons. They wouldn't encourage somebody for anything in the world. And if you think anybody would want to encourage a fellow Christian, it would be a deacon of that church. And I've got on to them. You know, I sit over there like they're running the roost, you know. And everybody that approaches them, they must do so with genuflection. My <laughs> preachers do the same thing. Encourage one another. What does it cost? What does it hurt? And what will it help? And finally, okay, finally, we are to exchange natural vices for supernatural graces. Listen, verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, Evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's stuff of the old life. You're a Christian now. Don't let that stuff be in your life. But be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Remember, God in Christ forgave you. <laughs> God in Christ forgave, you know, God forgave us then what gives us the right not to forgive others? You know, if God is willing to forgive me, can't I be willing to forgive those who may sin against me? Amen. Bitterness, 
sour, resentful spirit of a person who broods over injuries and slights and refuses to be reconciled. I'm hurt and I enjoy it. And then nobody going to make me reconcile with anybody else. That's an old bitter spirit. And I got to be honest with you, the church is better off without folks like that. All they are is a bitter pill that will infect other people. Wrath is rage and a vicious temper. Anger is a seething resentment. Clamor speaks of brawling, angry outburst. Evil speaking is slanderous whispers. Means to whisper all that slanderous stuff. Did you know what they said? You know what they did? Malice is a vicious, spiteful disposition. You were like that before you were saved. That's the old life. You're a Christian now. Put those things away and then put on these things. Kindness. Don't you like it when somebody's kind to you? I like it when people are kind to me. Tender-hearted. Not old rough-hearted, you know. Well, I know they got what they deserve. I'm not going to help them. They got what they deserve. You know, be tender-hearted with one another. We need to be tender-hearted with one another. I know we mess up. Brother Chris messes up. We all mess up. Let's be tender-hearted to one another. Compassionate. When you see somebody in need, have compassion for them. By the way, these are all things that God did to us when He saved us. He was kind to us when we didn't deserve it. He was tender-hearted toward us when we were hard-hearted. He was compassionate to us even though we deserve no compassion because of our sin. Freely forgiving those who offend and hurt us just as God has forgiven us in Christ. So Paul said, yeah, you're different now. And the difference that God makes is supposed to make a difference in how you live. Isn't that good stuff? I mean, that's, that's, see, this is practical application of salvation to everyday living. It sets the standard for us. That's the way you once were, but this is how you are now. And then he closes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, when you don't act like you're a Christian and you act like you've never been saved, you grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. To grieve means to, make, to mourn. It breaks the Holy Spirit's heart when you act like you've never been born again. The Holy Spirit who lives within you, it breaks his heart. When you act like you've never been saved. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He has sealed you for the day of redemption. He is the guarantor of your salvation. He lives within you. He will help you and encourage you. He'll help you to live this kind of way. Follow him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And don't break his heart by living as if you've never been born again. See, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. You know what that quench means? To put out a fire. 
Have you ever been in church and you hear the preacher preach or something? And boy, the God just lights a fire in your heart. Man, I'm going to start visiting. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start this. And God just lights a fire in your heart. The Holy Spirit of God lights that fire in you that you're going to be different. And you're going to do more. And then by two o'clock this afternoon, that fire's gone. You have put out the fire that the Holy Spirit of God started in your heart to be different, to be better. Quench not the Holy Spirit. See, that's good teaching. That's just practical, everyday living of the Christian life. God, help me to live this way. God, help me to live this way. That should be our prayer for all of us. Thank you, Father.